0: Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. And with me today, Obadiah Smith Jr. Obadiah Smith Jr. And how are you, Jim? I'm good. I'm excited today because we're looking at a new series here in Viewpoint. It's called Away with Words. But wait a minute. Have you ever heard of that program on NPR? I haven't, but I've listened to NPR news. Well, NPR is famous for its news shows, of course, but it also has some feature programs. And one of them is called Away with Words. This program uh, originated in San Diego for many years. It still comes from out west, I think. And it has two hosts. One's name is Martha Barnett, and the other is Grant Barrett. And what happens each week is they take calls from people, wherever they're listening, and they ask questions about, oh, you know, my my grandfather used to always use this phrase. or yes. Some kind of obscure <laughs> thing in the language that we kind of take for granted, but we stop sometimes and wonder, where did that come from? What's yes. that about? It's a great concept for a show, and, well, with all due respect to Away With Words on NPR— I'm interested today in taking some phrases, sometimes idioms, that we use often in popular culture that are grounded in the Scripture. So much of what we say actually is able to be tied to a biblical story, and today we want to look at one of those. If you just made a list of all the things that drive out of the Scripture into our ordinary speech, it'd be amazing, but most people today don't know enough about the Scripture to understand why what they're saying has any meaning today we're going to take one of those. How about this? The patience of Job. Have you ever heard of that? Oh yes, I have Jim. (laughs) Have you ever longed for that? I don't want it. (laughs) I don't want it, but we all know that phrase, the patience of Job. But what's that about? Yes. Who is Job and what does it mean for him to be patient? Stay tuned. We're going to talk about that. Patience of Job. That's a phrase we've all heard. We all need patience, Obadiah. Anyone who's been a parent needs patience. Yes. (laughs) Anyone who has parents needs patience. Amen. And sometimes at work or at school or in our neighborhood or with our extended families, even with ourselves, we understand what the word patience means. And we all need some. But every now and then, we reach back in time and pull out that phrase, the patience of Job. Like that was a unique kind of patience or a superlative patience. Well, who was that Job guy anyway? Well, we know that Job is a real person who lived in the scripture. He is a man whose story is captured in the Old Testament in a book that bears his name. This book of Job is kind of a standalone in that it doesn't fit in exactly with any of the other books on either side of it. In the way that the first five books of the Bible are kind of a a grouping, or maybe a first and second Kings, a sequence of books. Now, Job's a standalone. And maybe that's because his story stands alone. It is useful for all places and all time. And everyone can, at some level, identify with his journey through life. So, as we think about this phrase today, Obadiah, in our little way with words, let's think about this phrase the patience of Job. Who was Job anyway? Let's go to the beginning the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read a couple verses and you give us one more that will help set the stage, give us a glimpse of who this guy really was. This is Job chapter 1, verse 1. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. But he had more than that going on, Obadiah. What does it say next? And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest among all the people of the East. So right there, we have a snapshot of this man. We know where he lived in the land of Uz, but the truth be told, nobody really knows where Uz is now. Because of some referencing in the story, some of the other figures that appear on his stage... Uh, we believe he probably was in that land east of the Jordan River or in what we would call the Holy Land or in the modern nation-state of Jordan or, or somewhere in that area of the world. That seems to be the location. We're not exactly sure what time in which he lived, though, again, some of the details of the story suggest a time before the monarchy was established in Israel, really a long, long time ago, ancient time. That's clear. We also know, though, from the verse that you read Obadiah, that this was a man of means. Yes, wealthy. Had, he was wealthy, had a large family, which in the ancient world was also the sign of wealth. These days, having a lot of kids can break the bank, but, but in those days, having all those boys and girls in your house, that helped guarantee your family living on and so on, managing your estate. But you read a verse that talks about his wealth. It seems strange to us to measure wealth with livestock, but that's how it was measured in those days and still is measured that way in many cultures of the world. We sometimes think, well, wealth is about dollars and cents or stocks and bonds. Well, depending on where you live, it could be how many oxen you have and how many donkeys you have. What's clear is he was a man of great wealth and influence. In fact, the verse you read tells us there was just nobody quite like him. He was at the top of his game. Yes, and all of his neighbors may have been doing well, but nobody was doing as well, well yes, no. as Job. So that's who Job is. Here's a guy who's living well. He's living large. Uh, he has a family. He has means. He has everything he could possibly want and need. And I think all of us at some point or another dream of a life like that, don't we? Yes, we do, Jim. Man, <laughs> I, what I'd give for just another team of oxen, so to speak. <laughs> but that said, Job's story isn't famous because he was living so well. His story is famous because of his losses. Yes, his suffering that he endured, Jim. Because as the story opens with this glimpse of his goodness and his promise and all of his good fortune, it quickly unravels, and we find that he loses first his wealth, he loses his family, they are lost in a storm, and ultimately he loses his health. I mean, everything in his life is reduced, sometimes we think, well, I could maybe lose this or lose that, but to lose everything. I mean, if we were to contemporize this in modern terms, the story of Job as told in the scripture unfolds in a way that he loses everything except his life. Yes, He's reduced from being a wealthy man to a poor one. He's reduced to being a man alone, except with his wife. His children are all gone. He's reduced to having his own body racked by pain and suffering. I mean, it's miserable. Well, Boy, that story has a lot to teach us, and there's a backstory. When we come back, let's talk about some of the dimensions of his story that the Bible gives us as a glimpse that may tell us something about our stories, too. Job was a man just like you and me. He lived in an ancient world, and he had many blessings, but he also had many losses, The story of his losses and what happens next is why he is famous and why we use the phrase, the patience of Job. To help understand a little bit more about the suffering of Job, because as we've already learned, he was a man of great wealth, he had good health and a wonderful family, he loses all of these things. To understand how those losses came about, the Bible gives us some insight about the way in which life goes here on earth, and that this life that you and I know is often changed up by forces beyond what we can see in a spiritual realm. Yes. So in Job chapter 1, Obadiah, tell us what the Bible says beginning at verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Satan was watching everything that was going on. We have a picture of a courtroom here of a kind. God is presiding, and Satan shows up. It's just a mysterious kind of a portrait. Satan shows up, and God says, Hey, Mr. Satan, what have you been doing? Well, I've been been roaming the earth. I'm patrolling. I'm looking what's going on. And this is what the Scripture tells us God says next. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity, He fears God and stays away from evil. But Satan replied to the Lord, yes. But Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but do not harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Whoa. I mean, this is about a curtain being drawn <laughs> yes, back that we get to see in the next room. Pulled back. And this is a fantastic glimpse that can help all of us understand how our own lives go. Because what we have is a conversation between God and the enemy of our souls, in which God elevates Job in the conversation and says, man, this guy is doing everything right when you're looking around this world, Mr. Satan, you, you can see that you've got some people following you, but I've got this guy, he's following me. And Satan says, well, of course he follows you. You give him everything he needs. But I'll tell you what, if we just make him so he's not so comfortable, he'll curse you as if Job's allegiance to God was based on his good fortune. And God says, all right, let's put that to the test, but you can't harm him physically. Well, so many ideas in this story, so many lessons to learn. And one thing I think we can draw clearly is that our lives are not governed by our choices alone. I mean, sometimes we think we're the masters of our universe, but we all understand there are circumstances and events that unfold over which we have no control. And this suggests that those events may be controlled, in fact, by beings that we can't see or touch with our physical hands. And that God is sovereign over the universe, and there are forces that work against God's purposes. And God loves those who are created in His image, that's all of us, and He is especially thankful for those who honor Him as Job did. But there are forces that seek to derail us and destroy us and harm us, and that one, Satan, the accuser, the adversary, is behind all of that mess up. Yes, have you ever had something mess up in your life, Obadiah? Yes, Jim. And even looking at this passage, is not even the things that Job had that was physically happening to him, but he had three friends, too, that came against him, too. That's right. And pinpointed that the suffering that he was suffering was due because of a sin in his life, and it was confusing Job. And his friends kind of turned against him, too, based off what they saw. That's right, because as Job suffers all of these losses, the people around him tended to judge Job. Yes. And that's another important draw from this story that none of us have a right to judge someone else based on their circumstances, as if somehow God was punishing them or, or, or persecuting them, because there's a backstory yes. that we can understand. And sometimes suffering is actually the mark of righteousness. I give you Jesus, who suffered, though he never did any wrong even unto the cross. Our point here is that in our lives, we may all suffer loss, and all of us will in time, but those losses are not to be laid at the feet of God, and they're not always to be laid at our own feet, because there are other forces at work in life, in this world, that seek to destroy us and rob us. Jesus tells us that the devil's business is to rob, steal, and destroy, and we see that right here in Job's story. Oh, but there's even a greater lesson to learn. When we come back, Obadiah, let's look at how Job copes himself. Not how his neighbors talk, but how he copes with what he's experienced.
1: You will find him here yeah, yeah. You will find him You will find him
0: here. The Patience of Job Job was a man, clearly, who had a lot of patience. He has some dark moments, and he suffers unspeakable loss. And in the book of Job, you'll see how nakedly honest he is, because sometimes he cries out and he wonders, where are you, God? And he, he wonders if he has, in fact, been cursed somehow by heaven, and he can't connect all the dots because life is confusing. It's so real. All of us have lived this. And yet, in all of these things, the scripture tells us that Job would not curse God. He would not blame God. And that is the source of his great patience because Job seemed to understand for all of his losses that God was still on the throne and that somehow, some way, God loved him and would bring things together for the good. In the story of Job, we know that there were unseen dark forces, Satan himself, who worked to take things away from him. An important premise in the story is that Satan's ability to operate in Job's life did have boundaries set by God. Yes. I can't understand altogether why God would allow Satan to do some things, but that Job's life was held in God's hand and that Satan could not end Job's life without God's permission, that is clear. And all of us need to take heart from that. Our lives are held in the hands of God. And no matter who you are or how scary or difficult the moment might be, the devil cannot have you if you are the Lord's until the Lord is ready to call you home. But Job, knowing that somehow, some way, God was in control, in the end, he weathered the criticism of his friends, even the appeal of his wife to curse God and die. He weathered all of that and refused to blame God for his woes. He simply questioned God, and he cried out to God, and his heart was filled with anguish, but still he honored God. And so at the end of the day, the end of the story, what happens? Everything was given back to him. His life was restored. Yes. His family was restored. His fortunes were restored. We find Job at the end of his book as he was at the beginning, a man blessed and favored, a man who lived well. There's hope in this story for all of us. If you can be patient and long-suffering, if you can endure till the last, then God will honor you. You must trust your life into God's hand. You must believe that God is working for your good, even as there are forces of darkness working against you. You have to be humble before God and righteous before Him in the way in which your heart is tuned to love Him and to honor Him. But if you are like this, as Job was, you can have the patience of Job. Every one of us are going to experience terrible loss. As you experience that loss, be certain that you still worship God. And he will make things right. Now, we all know stories of people who suffer awful loss and seem then to walk out of this world destitute and broken. But the story never ends just in this world. And that's another lesson from this book. There is a whole spiritual realm that goes on in tandem with our material world, and it transcends our material world. And even if in this world you suffer loss, there will be gain in the world to come. But you must have that patience of Job which is not just the ability to endure, but a faith that trusts God. Wherever you are in life today, whatever your story, whatever your losses, whatever your gains, we want to encourage you to bow your head and surrender your heart into the Lord's hands, to trust Him. He loves you. God told Jeremiah, who suffered a lot of loss also, I know exactly what my plans are for you. I knew who you were before you were even born. And I know what my plans are for you, and they are plans for the good. That promise is for you, too. Like Job, you can own it, and you can have patience, and you can look forward to a bright and glorious new day. Take a step that way with us now as we pray. Our Father, we're so thankful that you know exactly who we are. You know us by name. We know, Lord, that you see the whole world, and you have the capacity to see every person on the planet right now, individually, uniquely, lovingly. We know also, Lord, and we thank you for your word that helps us see that there is an enemy of our souls. There is a Satan who also prowls about this world, seeking whom he may devour. And we can't understand the mystery, Lord, of the interaction between you and Satan altogether. We're not always sure how things happen or why, but we know this, that your plans for us are good and the plans that Satan has for us are evil. We thank you for the story of Job and pray that we might have his patience and his faith when we are bruised, when we are injured, when we suffer loss. Help us to hold steady, knowing with confidence that you will make all things right. We trust you, Lord, to sort things out. And even as the New Testament tells us, as we are called according to your purpose, you will make everything, everything, even our suffering, work together for the good. May we experience the blessing of Job even as we reach for his patience. And we do so surrendered into your hands in Jesus name. Amen. Now wherever you are, if you'd like to know more about the patience of Job, if you'd like to know more about a God who can redeem and restore even what the enemy has taken, give us a call. Just dial this number 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're always by the phone and we are always so very glad. To speak with you. Obadiah, if someone didn't want to pick up the phone but they were willing to go online, what's our web address? www.cbhviewpoint.org CBH, Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's what we're here for today is to give you hope no matter how dark the day. cbhviewpoint.org You can read about the ministry. You can send us an email. We will reply. Or at the last, just send me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420. Anderson, Indiana, four six zero one eight, USA. But by whatever method you choose, please let us hear from you. So Obadiah, I don't know about that uncle, but you know what? You may just be so sweet, sweeter than honey, but the the bees don't know it. Yes, Jim, <laughs> and I hope I have the patience of Job going yes. forward to this day. And. We thank you, Obadiah, for coming along Glad. Glad to be here, Jim. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you'll be with us again next week when we talk about another phrase that we often use. It's that handwriting on the wall. Join us then. Until then, this is Jim Lyon. For all of us at the Viewpoint team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, stay tuned.